So what Ashutosh and the team have built uses many, many career paths, more than a billion career paths, and all of the information that you can understand about someone's career path and what makes them uh, successful in their roles and what they will do next in their career, the jobs they've held, their education, their skills, everything that you can learn. The models, the algorithms will then take all of this information to understand what makes someone successful. And by applying this at scale, we're able to turn this AI into uh, business-ready applications for our enterprise clients. Hey everyone, welcome to Brains Behind AI, show where we meet the innovators, entrepreneurs, and the real brains behind some of the most successful AI startups. We ask them about their journey from coming up with the idea to finding the product market fit. And from their experience, draw a set of principles that we can take away to ours. This is your host, Ari. Thank you for spending time with us. And now, let the show begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of Brains Behind AI. I am Ari Kobe, and I am here with my co-host, Natalie Thomas. Natalie, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Ari. And I'm super excited for today's episode. We have Ashutosh Garg. Ashutosh is the CEO and founder of Afold AI, the industry's first talent intelligence platform built for enterprises to address talent acquisition and management in a holistic fashion. Afold AI is proven to be one of the most effective ways to identifying promising candidates while reaching diversity hiring goals and retaining top performers. Ashutosh graduated from the Indian Institute of Technology and received his PhD from the University of Illinois. Here, he also won the ECE Young Alumni Achievement Award for his fundamental contributions to machine learning and its applications to scale personalized search and ranking, and also for his bold entrepreneurship. Prior to founding AFOLD, Ashutosh was co-founder and CTO of Bloomreach. Ashutosh, welcome to the show. Before we dive into the company, Ashutosh, let's start with your background. Where did this entrepreneurial bug come from? Were you entrepreneurial from early on or did that happen when you landed in Silicon Valley? Hard to say. Many of us, the background we come from. So I grew up in India, near New Delhi in a small town. And... From the early on in the life, right, what we saw is the value of education and a can-do attitude. I will give a very small example of that story is, this is back in 1992. I was preparing for IIT examination. And for anyone to get into IIT from my hometown was almost unheard of. My school teacher came to me saying that, Ashu, looks like you're spending all your time preparing for IIT entrance. The likelihood of you getting into that is almost zero. You're not going to get into IIT. But if you, you're not spending time on your regular day-to-day classes, right? So why are you doing that? You will not get any admission anyway, based on how you are doing things. And I was like, no, I'm going to get it. I will get into IIT. And she was like, no. I'm like, no, man, just wait. You will see. And at some level, you can say it was a foolishness. You can say it was overconfidence. Because I had no proof point, no data to suggest I will get into it, right? But, you know, it was the feeling that I'm just going to make things happen. No one has done it doesn't mean it can't be done. To me, that is the entrepreneurship, really. Like anytime you have a new idea, you go to someone 
if everyone agrees with your idea, that means something is wrong with your idea. Thank you. Eight out of ten people will say it can't be done. It's too hard, too crazy, and that is. But in your gut, you know that it, this will work because you're challenging the status quo. You are challenging the standard thinking. So at some level, I have been doing that forever. Fortunately for me, I came to UIUC in 1998. Back in those days, AI was not hot. It was all about machine learning, statistics, and even they were an upcoming area, not that really popular in the market. But I was fortunate to get that education from UIUC, and then came to Silicon Valley to join IBM Research in 2003. And in 2008, while I was at Google doing well, what I realized is that you are working under the constraints. And set up a large enterprise, and the amount of freedom you had to do things in a different way is limited. And that is what led me to leave Google in 2008 to start the company Bloomreach. And at that time, we were calling it a big data machine learning company. But since 19, roughly 1996, everything that I have been doing is all about data, taking the data, making sense out of it, learning models based on that, and applying them to some practical application. Got it. All right. So now, sort of, let's talk about your your journey from from you're you're into data. You're applying data. How does that lead you to Eightfold? It's an, again another interesting story. I was at Bloomreach company at that time had grown to roughly three hundred fifty people, doing very well. But you start thinking that so what? What is the impact you are having on the society? So I wanted to do something. I'm like I'm in a fortunate place where I'm well educated. In the middle of Silicon Valley, almost in a perfect setup, right? What is the point of doing something random? Why not devote this life to do something that will help with the overall upliftment of our society? So that made sense. I started looking at education, only to realize at some point that education is just too hard. So I gave up education, and in 2016 early, left Bloomreach to start something in healthcare space. The primary buyer of healthcare today is HR Benefits Department of Large Enterprises, and I started talking to them. So basically, one after another, after another, I was talking to HR leaders. And as an entrepreneur, what you are doing is, as you are selling, as you are talking, whatever you are doing, right? At the same time, you are constantly listening and analyzing, and synthesizing what you are hearing. Sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously. And I would say in April timeframe of 2016, it was almost an aha moment when I realized that how important employment is for society. And then my whole life floated back in front of me that pretty much every job I got in the past was largely a function of who I knew or getting lucky. And I'm like, if that is how things are, how is it that an average person going is going to get a job? How is it that we will ever break the concept of diversity? Right, we'll solve it. Because if you need to know someone to get somewhere, right? I'm sure you have heard that in big companies, in there's this whole concept of old boys club, right? You need to know someone to get somewhere, right? But then we are never going to solve for diversity. Now the second thing is that one of the topics that you were talking about earlier is AI. If you look at this problem, right, of employment, it is really all about data. I'm sure people have come to you, your friends, nieces, nephews, asking you for career advice. And what you have done is 
then the pattern matching against few people you know and say that this is what i've seen why don't you go ahead and follow the same career path to uh, around three years back my niece came to me saying that uncle i love biology what can i do next i'm about to graduate from high school but i don't want to be a doctor two things were very clear at that point to me one i have no idea what to tell her biology means doctor as far as i am concerned of where i grew up right but the second thing which is also obvious to me is that there is data out there she is not the first person there are probably hundreds of thousands if not millions of people who have graduated with a degree in biology and not followed a medical career path so why can't we learn from those people and that is the thinking that led us to start aidfood that if we can provide the right career to everyone and mind it i'm not using the word job it's all about career if we can enable people to grow irrespective of who they are or who they know but driven by what their capabilities are what is their potential we can fundamentally make a huge positive impact on our society and now what's interesting is that we are in the time of covid-19 who would have thought that employment will become so important so quickly yep so mission today is more important than ever that's that sounds like a great story and you're touching on some great points and i know natalie has her set of questions but before we go there there's something that that stood out that i want to go a little deeper into one of the key things that we have to get very good at as entrepreneurs is the elimination process how we eliminate the ideas we want to work on and how we decide on which ideas to pick and focus on and it seems like you had your set where you looked at education you looked at healthcare sector and then you slowly eliminated and then you zoomed in in and double clicked on talent and talent management and using artificial intelligence there so before we dive into the company let's just spend 2 minutes talking about the elimination process what made you at what point did you say you know what this doesn't make sense because there's always this fine balance between persistence as an entrepreneur i don't want to give up i'm going to go change the world and also i need to be lean experiment based learner who's going to run these experiments and learn from those because you've gone through a couple of those we want to get your perspective absolutely that's a very very good question i wish i can say that i have a great answer to that as an entrepreneur i'm constantly learning but i would give you a few yardsticks i think few that are very obvious ones and people talk a lot about one is what is the market you are going after is there a real market and in that market is there a real problem quite a few times what happens is that we have a solution in mind and we start looking for a problem so instead what you really need to think about is what is the problem that need, needs to be solved right as a hiring manager i knew that it is hard for me to hire people and as a candidate i knew that it is hard for me to get a job so that part was very obvious to me but then it's not only about my problem then the next step is go talk to 10 other people 20 other people industry leaders and see what their perception is of the problem do they feel the pain point as severely as i feel that now as you are doing this you have to constantly think about the market so for example in our case right if i go and ask 10 hiring managers of a startup in silicon valley 
and let's say all of them tell me that there's a big problem. Then I have established that maybe there's a problem in the startups in Silicon Valley, but it's no, not at all clear if it is a problem in the broader America or broader world. So when you're looking at people to talk about your idea, discuss with them, collect their feedback, make sure you're constantly thinking about the market. Because if there is no market for what you're doing, nothing else matters. So that's the number one thing as an entrepreneur that you think about. Second is the solution that you have in mind or the solution that you're coming up with. What is your unique selling proposition? For me to come in and say that I will have a better look and feel on a product, right? That is not my strength. My strength is data and AI. Can AI bring an X factor in solving this problem? So focus on your own strengths after the market. So first is market. Second is what is the unique differentiation you can think over here. Third is, as you're again further evaluating the problem, is this a real problem or not, right? Make sure that other person is, whoever is the buyer of that problem, can get it very quickly. If I have to spend half an hour to convince them it is indeed a problem, that means there's no market or the pain point is not big enough, right? But one thing I will say, which probably to me is the single most important thing that no one talks about, is like the startups typically are in three big buckets. One is you start a company, you try it for a year or two, and then it fails. Second bucket is you start a company, things go really well for you, and you become a unicorn for success. But unfortunately, it is a third bucket, which is the worst and the largest. You start a company and you can stay on it for next 10 years and nothing happens. And that is a bucket you need to avoid that play. And the reason why people get trapped into that is they find few buyers, few customers, and they get excited. They go to some VCs, they look at some traction, they get excited. But what you have to do is think about where the market is going to be in 10 years from now. If you take the run rate of a startup, even the successful ones, right? For most public enterprise companies, it takes 10 years to get to 100 million ARR. But on the other hand, most companies can get to, I mean, 100 million ARR is not a large number. You can get there. That's not the issue. The issue is, can you get to a billion dollar ARR or more, right? So is your market large enough first that 10 years from now, you will can still be growing? But more importantly, you have to predict where the technology will be and the market will be in 10 years from now, so that as you are able to scale at that time, there will be enough room for you to grow. And if you don't pay attention to that, that is when you stagnant. You mentioned, right, the third bucket, my Wharton professor called it the land of the living dead, where you're not dead, but you're barely alive, right? You're just making ends meet. And that's where you're not changing the world and you're not transforming. So it's interesting that, that you mentioned that, and it's very important to see that you're not falling in that bucket where you're barely surviving and not transforming. So I good, good point. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get that, right? Um, go ahead, Natalie. I would, and based off of that, Ari, I was going to just say for the bucket three, is that where you find most startups and most companies? Do you see a huge trend in that? I know you realize that's a big chunk, but just from your experience, have you met a lot of people or dealt with a lot of companies that fall into bucket three? One is by definition that bucket cannot be too large. To survive for 10 years, you still need to be reasonably okay, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be of a reasonable size, you have to have raised a reasonable amount of money and all those things, right? But as a founder or an entrepreneur, right, 
I mean, your entire working life is like 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, right? So if you're running a company for 15 years, right, you don't have energy left to do anything else in your career after that, right? So if you look at the startup market right now and ignore the startups that have failed very quickly, then most of the startups get stuck in that bucket. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know of numerous companies that were really, really hard four years back, five years back. They are still there. They have barely grown 20% from that time. Somehow managing to survive, but nowhere to go. Yep. No, that's great. Turning to Steve for a second. So Steve, take a minute to give us your backdrop as well and, and the role you play here at Eightfold. I am a director of product marketing at Eightfold AI. I feel privileged uh, to work for uh, Ashutosh as uh, certainly the uh, most brilliant entrepreneur I've ever met in Silicon Valley. Part of my role is to try to explain what we do at Eightfold to uh, the market and the wider world. So I'm happy to join you. Great. We were happy to have you here. Let's double click on Eightfold here. And if you can, because you are the product guy, if you can give us an overview of what are you building? What is Eightfold about? Sure. The technology that we've built is designed to use artificial intelligence to understand how people move through their careers. So what Ashutosh and the team have built uses many, many career paths, more than a billion career paths, and all of the information that you can understand about someone's career path and what makes them uh, successful in their roles and what they will do next in their career, the jobs they've held, their education, their skills, everything that you can learn. The models, the algorithms will then take all of this information to understand what makes someone successful. And by applying this at scale, we're able to turn this AI into uh, business-ready applications for our enterprise clients. The uh, first of these applications that we went to market with was for talent acquisition, recruiting, so that a recruiting organization can define its requirement, and the AI will take all of the available talent and rank those individuals immediately based on who is the best fit for uh, those requirements, which is a kind of a, a magical process for people seeing it the first time. It doesn't take any choice away from them. It, in fact, gives them much more insight into why a certain individual is a good fit for the job, and in many cases will Uh, surface individuals who might not have jumped off uh, the page if you had a recruiter simply looking at a resume for six seconds, as they would have done otherwise. We've also taken this technology and increasingly in the most recent year, applied this for internal talent management. For a company that has uh, its workforce, they would like to make sure their workforce stays with them and also make sure that their workforce continues to grow. Each individual gains new skills, is excited about the opportunities available to them, uh, can find opportunities for promotion or for transfer within the organization, or even for projects that they would like to try with others in the organization that may not be a full-time change in their role. In the same way that the AI can recommend the individuals for a job, it can also recommend the jobs available for an individual uh, within the company. We've, uh, there's a couple of other wrinkles in this as well that I think are very important. 
One is the experience for individuals looking for jobs. Because this matching built on the algorithm is based purely on their skills and capabilities uh, and their potential, there is no old boys network when you are looking at an algorithm. And so this is very impactful for a, a candidate looking at a career website where the jobs come to find them rather than have to go and search for the job and get frustrated or even scared, worried about their future. We can transform that experience. And I, I've uh, really been heartened by what we can see with that. And finally, uh, the aspect of non-bias is really critical for us. All of our algorithms are designed to prevent any bias on visible or unknown personal characteristics, uh, such as age, gender, race and ethnicity, disability status, uh, romantic orientation. Any of these factors are ignored. They're not considered by the algorithm. And not only does this create better outcomes by preventing bias, but it will create confidence uh, that this bias can be avoided, which I think is so important. Great, great points, right? And I'd like that you have a, a talent selection product and then you have the talent management product. It seems like you're covering that entire value chain very nicely. My question to you is, algorithm is what you feed the algorithm. And maybe that's more of um, an Ashutosh question here. Is there a way, because you, its system is picking what the system, what I'm telling the system I am, is it going to select the right job or is it, is it determined from how I have entered my qualification or my skill set or, or answered certain questions? I'm asking this because I'm, I'm going to give an example from another industry, right? For financial planning, if you the way you answer your question, they determine if we're, how much equity you should have and how much fixed income and bonds you should invest in. Can you do the same thing with the talent where if I think I am a machine learning engineer, and if I think I have TensorFlow and deep learning experience and all that, because this is how I've written and drafted my resume, it would automatically think I have the job skill set, or is there more to it, right? That's more on the talent sourcing side. So I just want to understand in a simpler form, just double click on, on the algorithms you're using and how they're not biased. Absolutely. Very interesting question, right? And especially as you were describing it, what you are, let me rephrase your question a little bit, right? What you are saying is that I will create a resume of my, myself, give a list of titles and some skills that I have, and will the system do the keyword matching to match me to the jobs, right? Just because you mentioned that you know Java, maybe you know Java, maybe you don't know Java, right? And what we say is, and on the other side, when you're matching the job, right, is a job description that companies put out. And you extract the keyword from there and try to match that. What we realize is that both of these pieces or tools that are available to us, right? Whether it is a job description or a resume, these are both fundamentally very limited in their ability to capture the essence. I mean, you've done so much work in your life, right? All that work cannot be captured on a single piece of work. I don't know if it, when someone looks at your resume, right? Will they know about this podcast or what kind of other skills you have? Or will they automatically infer your communication skills because you have been producing podcasts, right? On the other hand, right, when you put out a job description, 
most of the time you stuff it with some keywords buzzwords and the biasing against women in general because they feel they may not be qualified for that job and as a hiring manager you keep projecting resumes one after another after another so what we do really is on the resume side we say first of all it is a self attested piece of document what you are doing is just giving me some guidance when you are giving me a resume but then what system does is looks at the resume and profiles of each and every other person who is like you who might have worked with you in your current company in your past companies experiences or might have gone to school with you and uses that to further validate and infer what else you are likely to know or not interesting that's so that's really valuable yeah yeah crowdsourcing everything about you and because when people apply for a job they really talk to one another right so there's not much collusion that happens in this space as a result so that also helps a lot on the other side our system does is the builds the same model for each and every role and function in the world i really don't need to know ex- what is the job description of your control i can look at the people in your control and see who is successful over there and learn from that them to understand what is required to be successful in this role and can i now find people who are likely to have those skills those career trajectories that will make them successful when collecting data and really like using ai technology and able to ai scanning people setting them up for job for job interviews essentially are there any certain industries that you focus on primarily like so is it only applicable in certain industries so our product is very horizontal in nature applicable across every industry and every function it is a function of the how much data we have available for that industry now the good news is that today we know about 70% of professionals in the world so by virtue of working with our customers and partners we are able to collect the data and learn from them now switching gears to go to market here so ashutosh want to get a sense of what does your customer base looks like today and what did it look like when you first started what was your target market as you were starting out and and what does your target market looks like today so we started the company around 3 and 1/2 years back Initially, we started by selling a solution for talent acquisition in the mid market with many startups in the Bay Area. But very quickly, one of the learnings was we realized that Bay Area is not a large market, and quite a few times Bay Area suffers from their own set of unique challenges. So then we sort of little little bit pivoted and started focusing on large enterprises. Today, our target market is Fortune thousand companies across the globe. with buyer being CHRO depending upon their own priorities they may start by buying our talent acquisition solution or they may start by buying our talent management solution so depending upon the company if you are on a high growth path you are likely to start on the talent acquisition side but on the other hand if you are not growing very fast you might be more interested in starting with talent management to better manage your current employees current talent on the talent acquisition side are you bringing the talent to them as well where you're finding based on the public data sets you have making recommendations or is it anyone applying through the system so the beauty is this right i will first give you a slightly different perspective there are only 7.8 billion people in the world and there are barely 2 million professionals in bay area 
that is a number and everyone is chasing the same set of folks even worse companies are chasing the same set of folks month after month year after year anyone who is in the silicon valley for example google has touched them at some point or the other either they have applied to google or google has reached out to them so it's not really about reaching out to the new talent it's really about helping enterprises build their own talent network if you are a large financial institution you are a large hospital or a technology firm can we help you build relationship with each and every person who is relevant to you in your geographic location help you build relationship with them nurture that relationship build it over time so that as and when there is an opening or as and when that individual is thinking about career change they either come to you or you are able to get to them very very quickly that makes a lot of sense one question i know natalie likes to ask is and your <laughs> name is interesting right how did you come up with eightfold what does eightfold means why eight why not 10 eightfold sounds <laughs> why not eightfold 11 comes <laughs> <laughs> from the buddhist philosophy of eightfold path to noble truth it is all about learning and unlearning to grow develop to achieve the ultimate goal of your life and we want to be that eightfold path for your career this is great and now as we talk about the future right say 3 years or 5 years from now and i know you're relatively young company where do you see eightfold in 3 to 5 years as you grow and scale so the company is growing really, really fast right now so financially hopefully we'll be doing very well but more importantly our mission is to enable the right career for people in the world and we want to be the platform in the world that each and every individual is using to build and maintain and grow their career be it within the enterprise or outside you're growing fast in enterprise space in the fortune 1000 space and i'll i'll take your take on it first and then steve you can chime in as well what i would like to understand is what advice would you have for entrepreneurs that are interested in going after the fortune 1000 market because if you're a small startup who just started and created this product it's not easy to open doors at those large organizations and what i've learned being on both sides is you need relationships to to open those doors and it's it's not easy it's a difficult path but as an entrepreneur as a small company you have to work extra hard to get there so i just want to know what your experience has been getting enterprise clients and what can entrepreneurs learn from from that experience very very good question first you have to understand whether your solution is genuinely applicable to large enterprises or not second part is are you ready for that selling to large enterprises does take lot of upfront investment and these investments are not just on the product side engine side but also sales and go to market side so on the product side are you actually enterprise ready or not are your security policies in line with what enterprises will expect compliance reliability of your infrastructure because these large enterprises are now going to bank on you you know deliver things they also want to understand are your company they can count on for years which says just few months then we say that selling into large enterprises is hard actually it's not that selling into large enterprises is hard or easy actually you have to understand what it takes to sell it to them there are multiple stakeholders everyone has their own goals 
So you have to be able to align with their requirements, their timeline, their objectives. You have to be able to speak their language. And quite a few times as a startup, right? You're very used to hacking up things, cutting corners. The biggest frustration that I hear from entrepreneurs is, my idea is so obvious, my solution is so good, why is the other person not seeing it? And we constantly go and just blame that other person. Versus we try to understand why is the person not seeing it? Are we speaking in their language? Are we communicating it well? So for example, just the security stuff, right? As you're building an organization, is that an afterthought? Or from day one, are you putting enough governance over there? Are you putting it enough governance around infrastructure, right? So long story short, if you can sell to enterprises, typically that's phenomenal. But then you have to make a conscious effort to do that. If you have not done it, my guidance will, to any entrepreneur will be get some people on board in your team who have done it, who have gone through that playbook. So for example, what we did was I brought Kamal Aluwalia, who's our president, on board very early on. And he has a lot of experience selling into enterprises. And then upfront, we went ahead and spent money to build that enterprise sales go-to-market motion. We also ended up investing a lot of money on infra and security to make sure that we are ready for enterprises. So you have to think about end-to-end from your, what is your pricing? Is that in line with how enterprises think? I mean, yes, it is common to say that it's all about relationships. Right? Most of the customers who are using it, I didn't know them. They didn't know us. So it was not about the relationship. It was all about like somehow they heard about us or we got connected. But then you have to spend months talking to them about com- your value proposition, explaining it to them. Then you spend months talking about like, are you enterprise ready? And when it clicks, actually many large organizations, they can move fast. Some of our largest deals in large organizations have happened faster than many small deals. So just make it a conscious effort, invest appropriate resources, and then you can sell into large enterprises. That's great feedback. Steve, you have a perspective you want to add or add to what Ashutosh just said? Ashish says that tongue-in-cheek, of course, but this is not my first time working in an enterprise startup. And coming from scratch, for me, every step of building a startup is hard, and every step of selling to enterprise is going to be hard. That said, from what I've seen, it's not terribly hard to land your first contract because you can you can use your network, you can speak to your seed investor, you can, you can call your parents' friends, you can, you can spam people on LinkedIn. One way or another, you'll meet a director in a company who has a budget and they'll describe a problem to you that they haven't solved. You think you can solve that problem. And so you go ahead and do that. And sure enough, you're in business, you're making some money. The problem is, how do you turn that into a second contract and a third and an, and an nth contract, making that a truly repeatable motion? I have seen so many entrepreneurs, so many very smart people with great motivation, and have even experienced this where you put yourself into a ditch because of how you have entered that relationship. You are solving the challenges for a, a client rather than thinking about a, a product that you can build repeatedly for a, a larger group. And it's very easy to get into this situation. 
with a client in an enterprise who has a budget and who can pay you to solve a problem that would be very difficult for them to solve with internal resources. And they can't hire an employee to solve these problems, but they can put you on contract to do that. And you may end up developing technology that only solves their exact need. Maybe that's not a bad outcome for you. You can have a perfectly good lifestyle doing that. I have a couple of friends I can think of who live very well, work 30 hours a week, travel. Certainly that's fine, but you're not going to find yourself uh, building a, a growth business and you're certainly not going to build a, a, a software business uh, that way. So you always do have to make sure that you are thinking about repeatability, uh, thinking about solving a larger problem. And especially with that early client always having maybe just the ounce of skepticism that everything they're telling you to do is going to apply to everyone else. What is your perspective on VC funding? And two, if you're VC funded, do you have any advice for the aspiring entrepreneurs that are looking for it, right? That's one of the lowest entrepreneurs have for Silicon Valley, and especially on emerging technology like AI is, is being backed by some of the premier VCs. And, and, and sometimes they look at it as a, success milestone, which we know from our experience, it's not. It's part of the process more than anything. So I want to see if you have a perspective on VC funding and if you have any advice for aspiring entrepreneurs there. So first of all, right, VCs have been very instrumental in the creation of innovation that has happened in Silicon Valley. Most of the companies that we know of today, which are the household names, Facebook, Google of the world, would not have happened in the absence of VC funding. The main thing is for you as an entrepreneur to see is VC funding the right thing for you or not. If you are going after a large market, you're trying to build a high growth company, you absolutely should go and get VC funding. But on the other hand, if you're trying to do it as a lifestyle business, you're trying to build it as a slow growth company, services company, low margin business, then VC funding is the wrong way to approach that. Once you have identified if your company can benefit from VC funding, because as a VC, you are investing in the future, not today. And what you have to prove it to them that your company is going to be a lot more valuable in future than it is today, right? Then you have to see who is the right investor for you, with respect to the company, the market you're going after, but most importantly, for you as an individual, because you will be working with that investor for the long, in the long term. And then go build the relationship with those investors. Make sure that they understand your vision, your story, your go-to-market. And you rightly said early, right? Funding by itself is not a milestone. It's not the success. It is more of a means to an end. Your end is really building that organization, that company that will grow and succeed. I have one more question too. Thank you for sharing before we wrap up. I know in the beginning you talked about eight out of 10 people might disagree with your idea. And that's a good thing. Do you feel you have to be a very strong-willed person to step forth in entrepreneurship? And any advice with that? If you get a lot of no's, it can be maybe very hard for people. But using that, yeah, of what you said in the beginning. Absolutely. Not only you need to be very strong-willed, make sure that you have support network around you, both coming from your own family, friends, other fellow entrepreneurs in the valley or wherever you are. Because one thing that is for sure that no matter how good it looks from outside, every company has good days and bad days. 
and more importantly even on a good day there are enough bad moments that will happen so you need to have energy to survive sustain through that not give up on your optimism but stay grounded so what i say is that as an entrepreneur to be successful right you need to be an extreme combination of paranoia and optimism stay optimistic but at the same time stay paranoid the yin and the yang exactly i'm looking at the clock and i know we're over our time and i know you guys are busy startup entrepreneurs so really really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us it was very valuable for us to learn from your journey and from your experiences and and thank you for taking the time ashtosh and steve thank you for being with us much appreciated absolutely pleasure thank you thank you so much for being here today if you like what you heard and are interested in more visit us online at brainsbehind.ai and sign up for my monthly ai startup tracker that's where i cut through the noise and bring you ai startups that are making tangible progress till next time go out be the brains behind ai